The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanjuro. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Don. How's it going? Very well, thank you. And Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Uh, so, very well. So, this is great. We're, we have some great topics tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, cybersecurity and especially around passwords and church passwords uh, for, for people who work in ministry. And that's uh, where our, from a Catholic point of view, sort of uh, a mandate comes in with this show. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the Google I.O. announcements from last week, where uh, Google had its big reveal of its uh, new features and plans for over the next year and that sort of thing. And then we're going to be talking also about uh, SpaceX's Starlink satellite system which is launching as we record this wednesday night uh you'll be receiving this hopefully thursday or friday morning uh thursday night or friday morning so launching tonight the the starlink satellite network and we'll tell you uh, as much as we know about that in a bit so let's uh, get started with our first segment where we'll talk about cybersecurity and, and passwords now there was this article in my local diocesan newspaper uh, that I, I saw from Catholic News Service about uh, hackers, <laughs> email hackers, and I don't. Hacker is a term that's often used uh, of a v- wide variety of people of various skill levels and abilities, and what they're actually doing may or may not be actual uh, technical skill, shall we say? Uh, but some folks used email apparently to get into the financial accounts of a parish in the Diocese of Cleveland to and stole $1.75 million, uh, money that was supposed to be paid to a construction company working on church renovations, but were instead diverted to another uh, place uh, by changing the bank and wiring instructions instead of the, the bank uh, and account for the construction company, it went to a fraudulent bank account where the money was then swept out of there to someplace else and someplace else. And this is how the bad guys uh, hide these things. It's a terrible thing. But it made me think about how poorly <laughs> most people, but especially in my experience, most church organizations are about cybersecurity. So I thought we could talk a little bit about that. Uh, Thomas, you you have some experience working in parish ministry. Now, I don't. I'm not going to ask you to reveal anything about your particular okay. parish, but you know, from your point of view, what's the weak point here for most? What's the what? What is one thing most parishes can do to to fix some of this to to increase their cybersecurity? It's um, it's people, man. It's always people. It's uh, the weakest link is always uh, a human on the end that trusts and. Uh, that's really, I, I hate to say it, but it's, it always, always verify, always verify. Um, if, 
I can I can promise you the kind of email scam that this was was a phishing email scam. It was probably a spear phishing where they targeted a particular person and they sent them an email that said, we need you to renew your password or update your password. And it had a link on it. Person clicked the link and then entered their password for the bank. And then that hacker got that uh, that account information. It's not even real hacking. It's just uh, just they just tried a whole bunch of different people to, to send the email to. And that's almost almost assuredly what happened here. And um, so really the, the thing that you have to do is you have to you have to teach people, you have to train people. Anybody who has access to those accounts needs to know uh, just the really very basics that uh, the bank is never going to ask you to put in your password through an email. Um, you know, they're not going to do it. And, and, and they, they might redirect you to their web page. But even then, you have to look at the web page and make sure that you know where you're logging in before you put in any secure information. Always type or or click on your own bookmark but even better type in the address yourself don't right. don't rely on any links in email this is something i am very very uh passionate about in my own security is don't ever uh, click on links to secure uh websites that are that come in your own email even if you're absolutely certain it's from them don't do it just don't yeah. I've seen some where we get this a lot because we use Office 365 where I work. And I've seen some where they'll replace the O's in Microsoft with Cyrillic O's. So it looks the same to when you're looking at it, but the Unicode character is different. So it's technically a different website. So they get really sneaky about it. And a lot of times in the church, especially in, in these nonprofit organizations, you have a lot of people who are older. They're they're not as computer savvy uh, and and they they aren't trained. To, to to be aware of this, and in fact, if I could if I could ask dioceses to do one thing, it's to set up training for all of your employees, your diocesan employees, your parish employees, your school employees on cybersecurity, so right. you can avoid phishing, uh, ransomware, all that stuff. But get a good person that to provide the training that's not going to throw stuff at these people that's over their head. Because I think that's right. the big problem is as soon as you go in with something over their head, uh, they just shut down. And and you have so many people that are, uh, I, I hate saying tech illiterate, but they're they're at that, that border point where they know enough to be able to be on, to be involved. But they as soon as you start throwing a few more high-tech terms at them, they're out. And this is one of those things that you don't need high tech terms. You just need to say, you know, you don't even use the term phishing. Just you're, what we're saying here is you're going to get an email that has fake information in it or that's going to try and send you to a different place. And all you need to tell them is do not click links in emails, period. The right. End. Right. And that's and that's really the end of it. And, and yeah. as soon as you can drill that into people's heads, you've done enough to, to save yourself a lot of headache. I've noticed even though it's not even just with tech illiterate people. Because I've worked with a lot of computer programmers who they're fantastic at what they do and they know how to use computers, but they just don't think about the security aspect. That's mm. true too. Yeah, no, that that is definitely true. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I'm gonna I'm anonymizing this because I don't want to expose anybody, but I have known people who who are programmers, uh, high level degrees in programming and engineering, who are at a high level within a major organization who use the worst passwords. Like, yeah. like Oh, gosh. Oh, like, yeah. Like, like uh, there was a time when uh, you had to get a password from this person for a particular thing, and the password was, I'm like, you're kidding, right? That that this is the password 
that if someone got this, they could wreak havoc uh, in this mm-hmm. organization. It's like in Spaceballs with the one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, well you know, I think a lot of times, sometimes it's a it's a detriment to have that much training too, because you trust the system. You trust that you know your password's going to be hashed. It's going to be protected. There's a, there are many layers protecting, but you don't realize that the hacker's not going to try and hack your password on the server. They're going to try and get it from you because that, that's the easiest way for them to get it. Right. Yeah. And these days, yeah, they know that most people are are trying to use better passwords. We have these systems that. Make you enter a new your pet you know, a new password every ninety days, which it's insane making when you are someone who uses good passwords. But uh, but but yeah, the, uh, now they're switching to the, you. It's it's easier to hack people than it is to hack computer systems. Mm-hmm. They've actually shown that making the password constraints as complex as they are is actually becoming detrimental because everyone's just writing their passwords down. And I've known people who. They'll keep all their passwords for everything that's secure in a text document on their desktop labeled passwords. So if you mm-hmm. get in their computer, you know right where to go. Yep. <laughs> I worked for an organization not long ago that kept all of its passwords on a in a Word doc on a, a Windows shared drive. Oh, man. The, oh, no. the, ser- the And the <laughs> server was on the Wi-Fi network that didn't have a password. Oh, you, you can't see our faces, guys, but you got all three of us right now are just, you know, rubbing our foreheads. <laughs> so one of the first things I did as soon as I was able to was replace that with one password for teams, which is the, what my preferred uh, password uh, vault system. Uh, there are others, LastPass, uh, Dashlane. Uh, there's there's lots of good ones out there. But I always recommend people is you want to have unique passwords for each website. And if you're going to have a team of people working on things and need access to things, having something like a, a password vault for teams allows you to share passwords securely. You're not writing them down in a text document. You're not, you know, and then the only password you have to remember is the one password that unlocks the vault. And then you and and then you don't write that down. <laughs> it makes yeah. it something that only you know, and that doesn't get written down. I mean, again, it doesn't protect you against social hacking which is you know someone conning you into giving up giving up the information but it's it's at least one door that's closed this story here definitely sounds like it was a social engineering thing or a phishing scam more than a technical issue right right oh yeah yeah, and that's and i think that's you know that's what what, that's what the average uh user needs to be worried about because really the systems themselves have gotten so uh, so advanced that uh, the only only people that are hacking the systems themselves are the nation state actors, you know, like the the Russias and Chinas or the uh, big uh, hacker corporations that are working. Right. And they're not going to target for, a, a, you know, e- even this amount of money is still kind of a pittance to them for what their main goals are. Right. That's right. Yeah. They're, 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 yeah, they're going after corporations and governments and that sort of thing or bigger organizations, bigger fish. Uh, one of the things that uh, is the problem is just having to remember passwords. Most people, most of us, we're, humans, we're not design, designed in a way to, or engineered to remember long, complex, random strings, which is what a good password is. <laughs> and so uh, one of the things they're trying to develop are ways to avoid that. You know, things like thumb, thumbprint on your phone or face ID, uh, so these different biometrics, those are called biometric uh, security. Uh, one is, and I, I saw this recently, the World Wide Web Consortium approved this new web authentication standard that's supposed to replace passwords. 
Uh, and in fact, it's already supported in most of the major browsers, Chrome, Firefox, Edge, and Safari. Uh, and it, it's it's not it's still a standard. It's not a, a product yet. But one of the things it does is it, it can, it'll let websites communicate with a security device that you've got connected somehow. Mm-hmm. In the government world, that's pretty much how everything already operates at this point. You got your right. PKI card and it's got your cert on it. You can't log into any systems if you're working with the government unless you got your card with you and your PIN and your password. So it right. looks like it's pretty much just a commercial version of that. Right. It, like YubiKey, uh, which is the, 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 the consumer version. Uh, right. But I think this one, this one is, uh, or this standard is a way of, so that's, that's more of a, a site has to support YubiKey individually and this is a way of creating a standard that many manufacturers and many sites uh right. which which is what will make this sort of uh much more usable yeah it's sort of the html version of that of, of that security password system so right it's a standardized here's how the language is going to work here's how all the protocols are going to pass uh here's the hashing algorithms we're going to use uh, it's a really good system too, and it, and it should be light enough. Uh, what they're what they're talking about is that it should be light enough to support like just a USB key, so you don't have to have any kind of uh, dedicated security uh, system. Although you could if you wanted to, right? It, the, of course, <laughs> you have problems with people leaving their YubiKeys around, you know, their security exactly. keys and <laughs> that sort of thing. So uh, usually these are multi-factor security, so you need a password and the physical key. And sometimes even a third authentication, maybe your facial recognition or something that would be that would be really secure. Yeah. Uh, but we're we're not quite there yet is at the consumer or even uh, business level, the general business level, I think. Well, in a big way, though, kind of cycling back to where we started on this uh, two factor authentication is a big deal. And anybody yeah. who has a, a big access password should have should have some kind of access to a two factor authentication system where it's going to ping somebody's phone and they have to okay that uh, transaction or that procedure going through. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 most big websites, whether it's Facebook or Google or Dropbox or any of these services now offer two factor authentication. Uh, And one of the ways to do that is, is uh, something called Google authenticator is an app you can put on your phone there are other versions that uh, Authy also does it. It's an, an a, another app that allows you to back up your your second factor. There's also um, uh, one password has it built in. But what it does is is your password. But then there's a second password that uh, is time based. So and it's synchronized uh, on the net so that every thirty seconds it changes. So. It, you know, even if someone has your username and password, if they don't have access to your second factor, which is this time-based password, that makes it that much harder. And usually, they have to have a device like your phone in order to have that second factor. So, uh, if wherever you know, we we should probably I'll see if I can drum up a link to it to a information about two-factor authentication. But wherever you have that available, you should be using it. Two-factor is tough because. Uh, where you have, there's a lot of times, especially like in, in church, in, it's different organizations, multiple people need to have access to the same thing. And, 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 and some sites only give you a one user account, like, like banking sites. Uh, you, you know, that's, that's part of the, part of the, partly this is on banks, but frankly, the, this problem. Uh, and they don't, so I don't know many banks that actually do two-factor authentication, which they should, uh, or like Bank, Bank of America doesn't, I know that. Uh, but 
but even then, you know, if I have the two factor and my wife doesn't, you know, then it's not as secure as it could be. So that's they're still going to work on some of that. And there's there's ways around it, but uh, it would be nice to have um, some functionality. They need to make it easier for people to use, because I know so many people who it doesn't matter how insecure it is. They're just not going to set that up because they don't feel like grabbing their phone when they're logging into anything. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I know I know I resisted the 2FA stuff for a long time. And I, I really didn't like the fact that I had to have my phone around me all the time to be able to log into stuff. But then once I started reading some papers about uh, the increased level of security, and then I'll tell you that it was what really happened was that the one time it stopped somebody from getting into my account from Russia who, you know, had gotten my password from uh, one of these others, uh, one of these other hacks that came out. And they were just trying stuff out, and it was a password that I had cycled through every once in a while, and it popped up on my phone because of the two-factor authentication. I was like, "Okay, I'm sold. That's it. I'm, <laughs> I am in." <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All it takes is one near miss, and there you, you go. Yeah, I, I I try to use it as everywhere I can. I, I and and again, it doesn't protect you against all bad actors. I had I used two factors. I used long, complex passwords, and I still had my bank account emptied by somebody through a Venmo hack. Still, still not quite sure where they got my information from. So someone had my my account information and was able to drain it into a Venmo uh, account and then swept it from there. Uh, and and I, I, the bank, you know, covered me eventually, and you know, I, I was made whole. But it was scary, and and I still don't know. I I think the ultimate in insecurity is I think someone grabbed the credit card numbers off of my card when I was out, uh, you know, maybe at a restaurant or something, which is, you know, when you think about it, we hand our credit card to waiters who walk away with it. And who knows? That always bothers me. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That always bothers me. Like, where are you going with that thing? I don't want you to do that right here. Right. Well, <laughs> it, it's square. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And a lot of in, in Europe, especially they carry card readers to the table and they do it right there in front of you. Uh, I I use Apple Pay everywhere I can, you know, as much right, as I can, right. because uh, that generates a unique uh, tr uh, credit card number, essentially, for every transaction. So even if someone slurps that one, they can it can't be used ever again. Right. And uh, just, yeah, <laughs> so I'm very very uh, paranoid about it. One thing that I you just, could go ahead. I, I, say, I just use the barter system. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Here's a chicken for my dinner. Uh, <laughs> it is my dinner. Yes, yeah, that's go. right. <laughs> Who's gonna uh, cook this for me? <laughs> yes, and you can have whatever's left. So one of the things that got announced is uh, Google has a new a Chrome extension called Password Checkup that will automatically check your passwords against some of these big databases. And I know, uh, uh, Jack, that I think that's going to be partially part of your pick today for our pick of the week. So uh, right. I won't get too much into that. But uh, other other systems, that one password has a, they call it Watchtower, where it will also do the same thing, where it will check your passwords and Check them for age. Check them for if you're using duplicates. Check it for is it showing up in one of these breaches uh, where through no fault of your own somebody has uh, breached it. Uh, you know it's gotten a hold of a password and that sort of thing. Uh, so that th all of these things are are helpful. But again, it comes back to if someone willingly gives up their password, it does that all this does no good. So uh, let people know and especially educate your your less tech savvy non -po tech podcast listening family <laughs> that's, that's right it does no good if if say you know you listen to the podcast and you're very secure but right. your husband or wife doesn't and they're not 
and, and then and then uh, phishing schemes, man. As soon as they get access to that person's email, even if if they can't get through their stuff to you, they can send an email from that person's account that looks very credible. Yep. And these guys, I mean, the hackers aren't working on like trying to figure out how to hack the next big thing. That the the computers are not fast enough to do that. The best thing they can invest their time in is that social engineering course. Right. Right. And educate your kids, by the way. Yep. Teach your yes, kids about good definitely. security. They need it. Uh, they and they will need it even more in the future. All right, I think we've we've uh, we've dealt with that topic, uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll be coming back to it uh, in the future. So let's talk about uh, Google I/O announcements. So, so from the the the, the scary of <laughs> hacking our passwords to some fun uh, announcements. Uh, so we 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 said last week I think we said that this is the time of year when all the big tech companies do their big reveals of their what of their New features, new products, the things that are coming. Uh, we had Facebook do its F8, and now uh, Apple will be next month, and Microsoft had its build conference. And, but now this was uh, Google last week, and they had some some highlights of some things. Uh, not, I, 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 how, what do you think? Was this as groundbreaking? Was there big features, or was it kind of a incremental update? It it's it's showing their it's showing their move in the right direction. And uh, you know, this will come up when I'm talking about my pick of the week uh, this week is uh, because I think that Google is starting here that people are not comfortable with how big they've gotten. Yeah. And and so some of these things are a nod in that direction saying, OK, we get it. You guys are not comfortable with the level of access we have to your information. Uh, so we want to give you more control over that. And we want to kind of let that privacy thing uh, be more your domain. It's Yeah. Yes, privacy. I think a lot of Facebook was talking a lot about privacy. Google's talking about privacy. Apple has been made privacy its brand basically for the past couple of years. So I think they're they're all hearing it that people are tired of worrying about their information, their private information being used against them uh, to in various ways. Uh, I'm not sure whether. Face, we talked about this last week, whether Facebook is really serious about your privacy or not. But uh, Google seems to be moving in the right direction. Well, one of the other things that seems that they're listening to as well is people are think that their phones are too expensive. So let's let's start with the new phones, the Pixel 3a. Uh, they, this is a phone that starts at 400 bucks, which is for a flagship quality phone like Google's Pixel. You know, phones have been getting more expensive, $1,000, $1,200 for some, you know, the the, the Samsung, the iPhone. The, this is this is a shot across the bow saying we can mm-hmm. release a, a decent phone. You know, it doesn't have all the features, all the high end. It has a headphone jack. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have wireless charging. It has a, a slightly less good, uh, but still very good camera. Like the, it doesn't have the super wide angle, but it has a slightly less wide angle. But it still has night sight, the nighttime shooting mode, and super res, and all these things like that. But it's still it's a pretty good phone for 400 bucks. Yeah. I mean, that that's. So I'm going to be honest, though. I've never used an Android phone that has had a decent camera. And I don't know if that's the software or the hardware, but I don't like Apple. But the one thing I think they do do better is their phones. The cameras on the phones? Yeah, the cameras. And just honestly, yeah. the usability. Yeah. The usability, too. Yeah. I've I've uh, I've had this complaint for the longest time. I buy phones unlocked. I'm I'm just that guy. I don't like to get the phone yeah, attached to the account. You know, I buy it unlocked. 
Now, I will say the Pixel just hit my radar because that's my price point. The, that $400 range is where I go for phones. And this thing has the specs that I want. My problem is I've been burned in the past on specs a lot. Uh, the Samsung phones are, they're junk, in my opinion. Uh, they have paper specs are great. Right. But you try and put that thing up against an iPhone and it cannot compete. It just cannot move around mm. as fast. The The cameras aren't as good. And and that bothers me. It bothers me that the specs are great, but the phone does not perform well. And so that's, that's been my experience too. Yeah. And so, so, so that's an issue. So the the photos, so I've heard complaints because I, I, I'm i an iPhone guy, so I don't use the Androids, but I've heard complaints that the, the, the phone app, I mean, I'm sorry, the camera app on the Android phones often are slow to respond. Very uh, slow. You'll press the button and there's a noticeable delay before it'll snap the picture. Um, oh, yeah. Or that the, the app just crashes. We've gotten to the point now with um, my wife has an older iPhone. It's probably four years old now. And I have an Android phone from last year. And whenever we try to take pictures, she's gotten to the point where if I get my phone, out, she's like, no, we're not using that one. I want actual good uh, pictures. <laughs> That's amazing. See, because I mean, I, I understand the attraction of some of the Android stuff. I really do. Uh, but I have never had a problem taking a photo with my iPhone. I mean, it's always right. been it's it's like it's like working with an old film camera where it's mechanical yeah. you press the button the shutter opens the picture's taken exactly. and it's a really good picture not the same on android at all never oh, wow. never have i had that experience on android interesting and interesting. i don't think it's tied to hardware honestly yeah no, android android. phone does it yeah it's it's a software issue it's absolutely a software issue and it's and there's no i haven't found a, a piece of software that solves the problem either. yeah it's fascinating. Okay, so now if so, if people are wedded to Android though, and they they want, I mean, this sounds like a a, a pretty decent deal. Then you know, if you want to, maybe you get this and a two year old iPhone. <laughs> there you go. That's your camera. Just carry around a camera with you guys. Carry around a digital camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're back to carrying around a separate camera. Uh, uh, so uh, the, then there's some other stuff that um, uh, that they announced that uh, they that. Nest, Google owns the Nest, which was, remember, the Nest thermostat, and they had Nest protect uh, smoke detectors, and they've kind of expanded Nest cameras. And so they've kind of combined Nest and their home line into one thing. And so they've rebranded everything as Google Nest, uh, which is interesting. They have this new Nest Home Hub. Do either of you have Google Home? Uh, no. Okay. No, so, I'm, I'm I'm working towards some open source options for it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I set up I've set ahead, up everything Jack. on Linux, yeah. just buying my own IP cameras because yeah, there you go. I, I don't trust the back doors. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> this, this is my uh, my my panel for this show of the the Linux. I'm very uh, very deep into the guts of things. I don't trust anybody. Uh, Yes, that, <laughs> is, that, is, uh, that sounds like where we're going here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so uh, th there's been some iterative stuff on Android Q, the next gen uh, operating system for Android. Uh, it sounds like this digital well-being stuff, like we talked about, they're responding to people's concerns. It sounds a lot like uh, Apple's, and I'm sorry, we've got to compare Apple and Google because that's my frame of reference. It sounds a lot like Apple's screen time stuff where it not only does it allow you to control or to, to be more aware of your use of your phone, but also lets parents be a little more granular in overseeing and also limiting how their kids use their phones, which, uh, what do you think I, of that? I 
I love this thing. I got Family <laughs> Link on my phone. Uh, we bought Nooks for all of my kids because the price came down so far. They're all on the Android Go system. Yep. And um, I, I can only have five, but I've already put in a complaint about, you know, I've got seven kids. I need some more access. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and they were really Big responsive Catholic families. They, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they, they, were, they, were real, they were really responsive to it. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you have reached the limit here. Uh, I can see where you would want more than that. So I'm waiting to hear back from them about the solution for that. But oh, good. It's fantastic because it um, it doesn't lock the system down except where I want it to. So I have my kids set up on a three-hour timer a day. So they only get three hours a day during the week of play. Uh, and it warns them when that time's coming up. So they are getting better about managing their own time use. Mm. Uh, I, it, it goes into the app store and they can, down, they can request apps and it sends me a request notification. And then I can approve the app. So I can look at the app and see what the comments are about it. And then I can approve or deny the app uh, based on what I feel about whether or not they need it for their system. Can I ask you, did you set them up, are the kids under 12? Did you set them up as being under 12? Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay, and, see, and it was, yeah. I created a Google account for them. Yeah. Uh, and, and you put in their birth date and it doesn't even give you the option to say how old they are. It just reads off of their birth date. Right. What, what they're doing. And then it sets up a specific uh, Google under 12 account for them. So right. that locks a whole bunch of options out. They can't use their email for certain things. Uh, they can't like, there's a YouTube kids app that I can put on. And there's even inside of the YouTube kids app, it's split up into under 12 and over 12. Uh, so, you know, my kids who, who are really, I know that they're responsible enough to view decent things on YouTube. I set them up with the over 12 option and then okay. the rest of my set would be younger. Um, I have, lo I love this. I am really, uh, the, the most, the most annoying feature about it is that it pings me like 300,000 times with all of their app requests. <laughs> but, uh, right. you know, we're getting better about that. And I'm, I'm getting to the point, you know, they're starting to understand what an educational app is versus just an I want to play this app. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I, I, I picked uh, Google Family Links, the software that they use, this whole system, a few, uh, you know, a few episodes ago because I got a Chromebook for my daughter who, who was 12. She's just about to turn 13, like this this coming week. And Google has been warning me when she turns 13, this is what's going to change about what she can do with it, which is good. I'm glad that they're very granular about that. But I was I actually was chafing at the restrictions. And I think they could have done a better job at explaining to me, especially as an Apple user, uh, how exactly I could have set things up so that that you were able to because I couldn't figure out how I could set it up so that she could download or request apps from the Play Store. Uh, I I just kept running into mm. a roadblock. Uh, I wanted to set her up with one password and and all this other stuff to make right. it easier for her to educate her about this stuff. Uh, so now that she's turning thirteen, that's not going to be a problem, and it'll be a lot easier to do that. But uh, it, it, otherwise, it's it's it really is uh, great to have this sort of understanding that parents need to be able to not just control their kids. Uh, time but to to watch them to watch it to help them mm -hmm. develop good habits and and to help us develop good habits uh one of the things that they have with this is a, a focus mode that lets you as the user say i don't uh, I, these are apps i want to avoid during particular periods of time just right. these apps uh, which we know facebook instagram uh, candy crush <laughs> <You know. laughs> these are the apps i shouldn't be allowed to use during work or, you know, right. during dinner time or whatever it is that, that it's your problem. Uh, yeah. So it, it's it, it's good to see that the, these different companies are figuring this out and helping us. It's, it's really a good idea. Um, 
one of the interesting things is that under an accessibility thing, they're going to start, and this is one of those things that really only Google, Google can do because of how much data they're slurping up from their from their users is live video live subtitles on all videos like no matter if you're on facebook or youtube or some random website or someone sends you a video they can give you live captioning uh and it's intended for people with hearing issues but anybody could can use it can turn it on um who knows how good it'll be but yeah i wonder if it's going to be as hilarious as the youtube auto uh closed captions are because those are <laughs> oh man hilarious <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah that's that's intense uh, you know to be fair though a lot of this stuff is getting a lot better the, yeah, uh, the audio is. the audio analysis is getting a lot better um but yes yeah, still sound quality is such a huge factor in in what a computer can can use to hear uh and to try and turn it into something legible right uh, one of the other projects they they're one of the things is Project Mainline they call it, which is which is an unfortunate name, but it has bad connotations <laughs> in some ways. But what it does is it it allows users to get around the limitations that both carriers and phone manufacturers have placed on Android users in getting updates to Android. Some mm-hmm. some like Verizon I think has been particularly bad at this, and and I think Samsung might be too if I'm correct in that preventing users to from getting the latest version of Android onto their phone. They have to wait until there's a carrier-approved or manufacturer-approved version. They can wait weeks or months after it's been released before they can get it. Uh, this is going to be a way to uh, offer a system of updates in modules, which is interesting, that, that mm-hmm. will say update specific things, like can update the camera software because there are bugs in it. And, and that way, you can get your bug updates and fixes right away without having to wait for your carrier to approve the big feature updates. So it basically sounds like the Windows model, the way Windows releases patches for different errors, but it doesn't touch the apps. I, yeah. I think it sounds good, but I honestly don't know how effective it's going to be because they've been trying yeah. to push this for years where all the Android phones all get updates and it's never worked. Interesting. Yeah. And and it, and it's it's more difficult with um with these operating systems because they are so tied to the uh to the mobile chip that's in them. And and with the iPhone you don't have to worry quite as much about that because it's very limited the amount of access that yeah. um and, that it has. And there's one chip. <laughs> it's right. the same and chip it, in it, all the phones. It, yeah. It works this way. Yeah. And uh with but with the Androids there's just uh it's that uh, it's that it's him. It's the constant hazard of a Linux user where uh, you don't really know what you have in the system, so you don't want to make guesses about what you have in the system, and uh, and that's the way Android is. Like you don't really know what's in the system because those all the phones are so different. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really I think I, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. Right. I love the idea. I really don't think it's going to work out as simply as they want to try and say it's going. Mm. Yeah, sometimes I think they would just prefer everyone just buy a Pixel and be done with it. But uh, oh, yeah. they try to push. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a it's a lot like Microsoft. This is we're seeing Microsoft and Windows all over again. It's right. it's a, the model, and now they really they are selling Surface and Surface Books because this is buy the the one with our name on it because we control the software and the hardware. You're gonna have a better experience, or so they say. Uh, and, and that's, I think, what Google is, is trying to do with this while, you know, kind of have their cake and eat it, too. In, yeah. In that. I think the problem is phones, what the hardware is matters more 
with a phone than it does with a computer. Like Windows is more flexible than Android. Yeah, it's interesting. And you have the added complexity of the carrier as right. well. Yeah. So you have this third party. You know, with the with internet providers, it's a, it's IP standard. You know, it's pretty much what the same no matter who you connect to. But carriers are just unique enough individually. I think that it it matters a little bit. Um, so and then one more feature I want to mention, unless there's something else that you saw that you wanted to talk about, which is this duplex, which they they unveiled to great fanfare last year, which would be this AI that will make phone calls for you and book your appointments and and. And people freaked out last year when this got released because uh, creepy. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to know if it's an AI calling to make to make an appointment for someone or you know or a real human being, and I don't like that. There, there was this uncanny valley factor, I think, that was involved. And Google walked that back a little bit. They didn't talk much about duplex, except to just say that uh, now it's really going to be more about um, text and not speaking. Um, and, and so that'll be interesting to see. What do you think? Of, what did you think of the, the duplex this year? I, I like the idea. Uh, I, I, I like the idea uh, of it being more of this text-based thing because my doctor's already doing that. My doctor's already got this like system that I can connect to that, um, that allows me to, to just go on the internet and, and type in a, a, you know, look for an appointment time and make an appointment time. And I like the concept that, you know, if I if I were actually keeping a calendar on my phone, that my phone could go ahead and make a decision for me and say, oh, well, in the next six months, you're going to need it around this time period. Boom, there you go. I've booked your appointment for you. And it's just kind of put in there. Because that's one of those things that I just don't like doing. You know, I just don't right. like investing the time. Right. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people that are in that boat. But it's stuff that I know I need to do. And I'm going to keep pushing it off. And so six months is going to turn into nine. It's going to turn into a year. And uh, it would be nice. <laughs> If the computer could do this for me, I would not mind that. I do, I do feel you on the, uh, like, you know, the phone calling for me and making an appointment. That's a little weird, but yeah. I don't mind the, like, just my calendars getting in touch with your calendar and, and they're figuring they're it, out. it up. Yeah, that <laughs> would know? be nice. I do wonder um, if this does get implemented, how many times people are going to get appointments made for them, just forget about them, not show up, and then it's going to really annoy doctors and whoever else. Because I can see that happening easily. So, yeah, it puts it on your calendar, but unless you have notifications that have it pop up and say, hey, by the way, I've made an appointment for you tomorrow. It's, it's tomorrow, remember, you know, unless it's it got that other end of it to, right. to, to bug you about it. Because I, I have to do that when I make appointments. When I make the appointment, I have to put multiple alerts starting several days out to remind me, yeah. by the way, remember, you made this appointment. Uh, so I, I can see how it would be even worse. I mean, what we need is Jarvis. We need, you know, that that AI assistant who can, you know, J Jarvis a reference to Iron Man. In, On your right? calendar today, sir. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we we need that that AI assistant who does that stuff for us. Uh, all right. So uh, so were there any other things uh, that Google announced that you wanted to mention or talk about? Uh, I mean, I think we hit the the high points. And there's 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 always more. I was surprised they didn't talk more about Stadia and the like. You mm -hmm. know, they they made that announcement recently, and then just it didn't pop up much here. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting you mentioned that because yeah, Stadia is their streaming gaming service where you can uh, play any. You know, they promise or they they claim that you'll be able to play any high end video game from any system anywhere over the internet. You know, so you could play a high end. Uh, Far Cry or something that something that requires like heavy right today 
heavy duty PC hardware. Uh, you'll be able to play it on your pa- your tablet or your phone because all of the computations being done in the cloud. Yeah, that's like interesting. A lot, there's a lot of skepticism around Stadia whether they can actually pull it off. I'll be curious. Yeah. I feel like there was one that came out. It was probably close to a decade ago now that was promising the same thing and it never panned out and it, I just don't think the bandwidth was there but I can imagine with fiber that we could probably get that we're getting close to it yeah, yeah. like Father Corey I remember at the time was saying yeah uh, you know out here in Malta Montana we I'd be curious to see whether we can get enough bandwidth for this but in the big cities you know probably it's probably possible now so it'd as be long as you can run doom yeah that's right yes <laughs> So uh, the classics in there. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, the let's go to our, our third uh, segment. We're going to talk about Starlink, which is a new uh, satellite network from SpaceX, and this is one of a number of satellite systems being proposed by some companies that promise to have ubiquitous internet from space. So you will uh, basically there a, a a network, a web of low earth orbit satellites, small little satellites that your phone or computer or tablet or whatever, or whatever device in your home will communicate with to get on the internet, as opposed to through a line attached to your house, to the pole or to a microwave tower, you know, nearby in your town. We get rid of all the cell towers and and all that sort of stuff. So that's the promise. So uh, SpaceX is launching as we record this, as I said before, this night, a their first group of these satellites, they're 500 pounds each. They're, they look like they're flat panel design. They will be 60 of them in a Falcon 9 rocket. And uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to, to an article about it from Spaceflight Now, where the it shows the 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 configuration inside the 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 payload of this Falcon rocket of these 60 satellites. And to me, it looks like a server rack <laughs> and it's this going to basically fly through space and eject them out as it goes. So uh, th- what do you guys think? Is this, is this somewhere where we're going to be, are we going, are we someday, you know, soon going to have our, is this a pipe dream or are we going to be getting internet everywhere without wires and all that sort of stuff? What do you think? I think it's inevitable. Yeah. Because it it's just every, so many companies are doing it. I mean, so many companies are doing it, and that's really where technology is going is the Internet of Things where everything is connected all the time. And I know where I live, I can get 4G, and then I drive a mile down the road, and I've got nothing. So there's still a lot of right. places that are spotty. Yeah. Actually, I live in a in a suburb of, close to Boston, and my house, I get, I get very bad connection. If I didn't have, uh, uh, you know, my, my Wi-Fi... Uh, and AT&T's got the uh was the 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 call over Wi-Fi data over Wi-Fi so I can I can get calls over the Wi-Fi if I didn't have that I'd have no phone service here it would be terrible uh, so yeah I agree with you that, I mean f- from from an American point of view it's there's still a lot of places where you can't get internet but I think there's also an from an international point of view there's a lot of places in the world that don't have broadband right. uh, m- more th- don't than do I think and that's where the yeah. growth markets are for these companies. Yeah, and I, and I think that it's a uh, you know it's a fantastic idea. It's really, uh, it's really progressive the way that they're thinking about it. And I love that they're tying it to their space program, and they're they're kind of tying the success of their space program to it as well because that's one of the 
the, the, the method of monetizing it is going to be really, uh, really interesting for them. That's, that's kind of what their plan is, is trying to, to support SpaceX going forward with this model of, well, we're getting stuff out there that's providing you with the internet. You know? Yeah. And I think he said that uh, they want to use the revenues from this to help them de- develop the Mars plans that Elon Musk has, which, which is very interesting. Yeah, that's I think that's the the end game of it is to try and um, to push it forward. And you know, you, you talk about you, you look at all this stuff that SpaceX is doing, and they've got they've got a great marketing team. They really know how to talk their talk themselves up. Uh, this is an area where that marketing team is really going to shine. Hey, look what we've been able to do. We've been able to to bring the internet to uh, you know rural Canada, and it it's there just as fast as it is in New York. Uh, there are very few breaks in it. Uh, it, it works, uh, and we're doing more of it. We're bringing more of that. So join our network, get involved, and then you got a monthly fee for these people that the stuff is out there. It's just right. going to sit there, work. You don't have to do anything to it. You just have to get yeah. it up there once, and then people are going to keep paying for it because it, it, it you know, the, the maintenance costs are, are practically negligible. Right. Uh, so it's it's a fantastic idea. And going forward, um, they're going to need internet on Mars. So this is a good concept <laughs> for that. Right. That's true. That's true. I mean, that, and that's the thing. You think of all the infrastructure that this cir- circumvents, all those towers, all those wires, all those telephone poles everywhere, uh, and the Wi-Fi, you know, and routers in your home. I mean, if if this, I'm not sure how this uh, KU band radio works. Uh, it's a little outside my expertise, but if it can pull high speed uh, data from 100 miles up uh, to small devices, and you know, so you don't have to have uh, you set up a network in your home and everything's just directly connected. That would be a very interesting uh, concept. Uh, there are other issues with that, obviously, like uh, the number of IP addresses and and that sort of thing, which uh, we don't have to get into. But uh, but it's 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 it's, it's I, yeah, it's a complicated thing. We can talk about another time, maybe. But uh, I like the IP. Yeah, the IPv6. I, yeah, IPv6. Oh, uh, there you go. Exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> We're so, fixing uh, it. We're fixing it. <laughs> we are fixing it. Uh, so. But the idea that we'll have this, you know, internet everywhere, no matter where you go, is it, it's been something I've been thinking about for a long time. I remember on my honeymoon with my wife, we we're driving through Nova Scotia in 2006. Uh, we we honeymooned in Nova Scotia in uh, Prince Edward Island, and in the middle of Nova Scotia, there is nothing. There is nothing, <laughs> including no phone service. And we had this long conversation about it very soon. And I mean, again, 2006 is pre-smartphone. I was talking about how you'd be able to get on the internet anywhere you went, and we're mm. getting there. We're very close to it. I mean, this is pretty amazing how uh, this is going to, and it, it'll be great for people who are in developing countries. Yeah. Well, and I think even even with this, like if you if you took this, not just that my phone's going to directly connect to one of these, but if I had to have a device that sat in my house like a modem or router, or that was portable, more likely and more uh, reasonably, that I could stick in my car and drive with me and then stick on my desk at work. And I could always have my internet connection uh, through this device. I I would be okay car- carrying around something like that. You know, I would be okay with that being uh, an additional part of the equipment that I have on a daily basis. Right. Uh, to, to carry my home network with me wherever I went. That would be really, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I spend a lot of t- time and effort trying to have access to all of my data that sits on a NAS and on a desktop computer and all that sort of stuff with me. Or, you know, it's in Dropbox, it's in whatever all the time. Whereas, if you know, I, I like to carry my phone or my iPad or my, you know, my laptop or whatever 
But that idea of, yeah, that I can just carry my presence online with me, that would be, that's, it's a fascinating idea. I like that, uh, that concept, especially as we're getting closer to foldable devices that, mm -hmm. you know, can be portable and yet expand into something. Uh, we, we talked about that recently. I'm sure we'll be talking about fold, foldable devices again sometime soon. But uh, I just have to mention the elephant in the room, though. You know, Starlink is very close to Skynet. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, always going to about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, if 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 the satellites go up and get turned on tonight, and everything goes off, and nobody nobody will hear this podcast uh, if that happens, <laughs> but uh, we're running for the hills. <laughs> yep, yep, we know it's coming. <laughs> that's right. All right, so uh, that brings us to our picks of the week, and uh, we this is our every week we pick something that's interesting to us. Uh, we want to share. So, Thomas, why don't you go first? What's your pick of the week? All right, so you know, talking about all this security stuff and um, kind of all of this, uh, uh, the, the concept of privacy and all of these things, um, I have started using DuckDuckGo as my dedicated uh, uh, internet search engine, um, and I, re I definitely recommend that people do it. Um, if you've ever been concerned about the fact that the data that you search for, even just the things that you search, follows you around on the internet, um, this is a great way to avoid that because DuckDuckGo has committed themselves to not storing any of your data that you are searching for. Uh, and you might not be aware that Google does this or, or that uh, Bing does this, but they do store the data that you search for. And it is in some way attached to you through either cookies or through an IP uh, indexer or something of the sort. And it connects that, those searches back to you so that uh, Google can sell that to ad companies and to sell you ads. Uh, so DuckDuckGo has committed to uh, a completely anonymous search system where if you go on their browser and use their browser, uh, your search is 100% anonymous. It's done that time and that data is not stored past that one time. They do still do ads. They still have ads on there. But the ads are related to the search itself, not to you as a searcher. So not, not to your IP address or to anything that you've searched for historically, but just this one search, uh, some ads will pop up from that one search. And they're assuming that if you are you know, searching for something that you might want an ad to come back about that thing. Uh, and that's how they're going to make their money anyway. They, they have to do something. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So that's excellent. And, and I really, I like that model because I think it's, um, it's starting to recognize the fact that I don't want, I, I don't have an expectation that every single thing I do online is sold to someone. Uh, and, and, it's not something that the typical consumer is aware of, but that is normally the case. And and you really have to think about it. If the, the thing that you're using is free, you are the commodity that's being bought and sold. And uh, who is the most honest about it is kind of the question you have to look for. Here, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can make DuckDuckGo your default search engine on pretty much every system out there. Uh, even on Apple, uh, you could do it on your iPhone and your tablet, uh, you know, your iPad, your your Mac, your Windows, you know, Chrome, uh, Safari, everything. You can they, all of these places. You may they may not make it easy to find out that you can do it, but you can do it. Um, and uh, I'll see if I can find a link to how to do it uh, to make DuckDuckGo your default browser. That would be useful i think for people. that'd be great yeah the, the link i included in the show notes was about the it's the privacy statement that they that they made recently about uh what they do with your data and why why they've made the decision that they've made awesome um, the one thing i will say is you're going to lose a lot of functionality 
So if you're coming from, uh, if you're used to using Google or if you're used to using Bing, uh, there are a lot of built-ins that Google has or that um, Bing has that you're going to miss. Um, but in my opinion, it's worth it to go to this other system where they're not tracking me constantly on all the things that I'm searching. All right. And uh, Jack, what is your pick of the week? Mine also ties into what we were talking about, about security. Um, it's haveibeenpwned.com. And basically what it is is a website that collates all those databases of those major leaks that we have. Um, I think there were a few there were a few earlier this year and a lot of big ones in 2018. Um, what you can do is you can go and put in your email address and it will search through and see if your email address is in any of these breaches. And you can also put in passwords, like any password you use or just any password you want to use, you can put it in there and search through and it will see if it's been in those databases. Excellent. Yeah. And you, they, you, yeah, you can also uh, put in your uh, email and get notified when your yeah. email address shows up, which is good. Um, and one of the great things is it integrates with, as I was mentioned before, one password. It built yeah, into one password. It, it checks it and will tell you in there if if you, one of your passwords is in one of these databases. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah, they they said I'm looking at the site. Uh, Seven point eight billion accounts have been pwned. Pwned is a hacker speak for owned. Don't ask me why. It just is. <laughs> it would take too long to explain. But the, that's a good one. Yes, excellent. And these people are doing. Uh, yeoman service that they're, they're they do it out of donations people donate money it doesn't cost you anything to do it which is fantastic yeah, it's always uh, worth checking out yes uh, and then my pick is a new feature for uh, the device that really strips your privacy which is <laughs> 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 your uh your amazon echo device uh which is uh it's called hold on just a second i have to turn off my device so it doesn't respond every time I mention its name. So just a sec. <laughs> okay, now we have some privacy. I've turned listening. off the microphone. Yes, it's still <laughs> listening. Well, it won't respond. It won't make lots of noise as I talk about it. But Alexa Guard <laughs> is a new service that they have where uh, it because it is always listening, <laughs> as you say, uh, it can listen for certain sounds. You, you put it in an away mode. You say as you're walking out the door, Alexa, I'm leaving. And it goes into a guard mode. And you have to turn this on. It's not on all the time. And it will listen for certain sounds, the sounds of smoke alarms, carbon monoxide alarms, or glass breaking. And then it will alert you on your phone because you're away, uh, allow you to drop into your echo remotely. So even if, if it's an audio echo, you can listen or talk. If it's a, you know an echo show, you can, you can see what's going on. Uh, it'll... Uh, work with your lighting, your smart lighting to, if you have like smart lights that you've integrated with it, turn them on or off to make it look like your home. And if you have a, certain alarm systems, including the Ring Alarm, which is now owned by Amazon, or ADT security system, it can help, you can receive smart alerts uh, through that. It, it works with that. I don't have an alarm system like that. So I, it's, um, uh, don't break into my home, please. But <laughs> just <laughs> now that I've told you that, but I don't have one of those alarm systems. Uh, so, uh, it's it's an interesting if you if you have echoes, it's it's an interesting idea that maybe you want to check out. Uh, it's free. It's part of the system. You can turn it on if you want. Um, it does let you know that it's always listening for certain things. That what what you know, whether it's the people are somewhat can be somewhat concerned about what information are they saving, and I'm not really worried about that. I'm not 
I'm not conducting any illegal business in my home and, and that sort of thing. At this point, I'm not really worried about uh, that it's listening for its wake word. Uh, but I think it's an interesting product in the sense of it's smart about looking for problems. It's not just has the perimeter been breached like most security alarms, but security systems work like this is more um, I'm aware of interest of interesting incidents in this environment. And that's a fascinating idea to me uh, of using some smarts for that. Yeah, I I, am just uh, on the illegal business uh, (laughs) and talking about Alexa's and and always on devices. um, uh, It's there are some interesting implications around this stuff. Uh, Teachers are bringing these things into their classrooms. And uh, there are some very serious issues there because there are some things that are being discussed. Uh, You know, if you have a parent conference. And you're sitting down and you're talking about students uh, and the Alexa is on listening. Uh, that can be an issue. You know, that can be right. uh, that can be an issue. So I just, I just want to throw out the, uh, you know, the privacy issues there that, that are shining or medical uh, right. medical concerns as well. You know, if you're a doctor talking about things uh, in your home with another doctor and it might be completely above the board what you're doing. But that recording device is there uh, unintentionally. So. And there was a recent uh, revelation that the equality assurance team at. Amazon was listening to, so they would listen to it, um, supposedly anonymized clips of, of sounds to make sure, supposed to be able to make sure that it's, it's under, uh, the echoes are understanding you correctly and giving you the right response. And so they were, they were supposed to be analyzing that. Well, it turns out they were listening to it, trading interesting ones, uh, and then questions about hearing things like people being hurt or in some kind of distress and what are we supposed to do with this information? And mm-hmm. they're being told, don't do anything. So certain questions have come up. I think we talked about this on a recent episode. If not, uh, we, we should maybe in the future. Uh, but so there, there are a lot of interesting questions about the, the fact of we have devices that are always on and listening for something in our homes. Um, there was a recent revelation about a new, was it the, a Nest product, a Nest alarm product, that had a camera in, I think it was a camera in it. I know that that. That was not active. Um, yeah. What were you going to say? With, uh, with, that was, that recently happened with Ring, actually. Ring, um, okay. They were not yeah. encrypting their, da- the video feeds. And so this Ukrainian group, just basically to show the company what was going on, not for anything nefarious, was able to hack into people's rings without any issue. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's why uh, I don't have cam- those kind of cameras in the home. I have I have them outside facing outward, uh, but uh, and I have the the little slider on my webcams and all that sort of thing in, in the right. house. Yeah, uh, so yeah, it's just something to be aware of, and you, yeah. everyone needs to make decisions based on what they're comfortable with and and that sort of thing. And we'll we'll continue to talk about this. That's one of the reasons why we do this podcast because we want to discuss these issues. People can make informed decisions. All right. So I think that's uh, going to wrap it up for us. And I just want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including this week, Wojciech D, Rebecca S, Gabe S, James S, and Kathy S. Lots of S's. Uh, it's only a coincidence. <laughs> Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them in helping us continue our mission by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of our discussion of cybersecurity and passwords? 
about the Google I.O. announcements about Starlink and our picks of the week. Let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, and leave us some feedback there or send us an email to technology at sqpn.com. And we always love to hear if you have interesting topics you want us to discuss, headlines or links to news stories or anything like that, please send those along too. You can find the links from our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com. And remember to like the episodes of Secrets of Technology on social media, on our Facebook page, or on Twitter at sqpn. Leave us comments. All those things help create a community of that discusses these things and, and helps spread the information that we're trying to provide and create a community of listeners. We really do appreciate that. Until next time, Thomas and Herho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>